back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Peak Endurance Podcast with your host, Isabel Ross. As a personal trainer, accredited endurance coach, and now podcast host, Isabel is bringing you the best advice, tips, and tricks for your health and athletics. Having had raced all over the world, including participating in the notorious Barkley Marathons, she's now brought all of her knowledge and brought it back to you so you can now be an expert. So sit back, relax, and the knowledge you'll receive will have you off to the races. Hello and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Episode 181 is an interview with Stephen Redfern. I've interviewed Stephen a few times, documenting his massive runs, and this interview looks at his most massive run to date. Stephen recently returned to Australia after participating in the Sri Chinmoy Self Transcendence 3,100 mile race. In 1997, the spiritual teacher, athlete and humanitarian Sri Chinmoy founded the self-transcendence 3,100 mile race. The race takes place annually with runners running a 0.55 mile loop or 880 metres or thereabouts 5,649 times on the pavement around a sports field, playground and high school in the New York City neighbourhood of Jamaica, Queens. Runners have 52 days to complete the 3,100 miles around the half mile block. To complete the run within the allotted time frame, participants must average 60 miles or 96.6 kilometers daily. The course opens each morning at 6 a.m. and closes at midnight, alternating directions each day, with the event being the longest certified road race in the world. Stephen and I discuss how he got into this epic race, what his goal was, how his race derailed and how he fought back to keep running. An unbelievable tale of persistence, resilience and ultimate self-triumph. <clears throat> do you enjoy the pod? I assume you do, seeing as you are here with me today. Did you know that it is super easy to go onto Apple Podcasts and give the show five stars if you think it deserves it, which I hope you do, and write a short review? I don't get paid to do this, but knowing that it means something to you, the listener, makes me keep plugging away at it. Also, reviews tell Apple Podcasts that people are listening and that they should show it to other people who are searching for podcasts. In this way, the podcast grows. The link to Apple Podcasts is in the show notes. Now, due to popular demand, I'm holding my goal-setting webinar again. If you want to get your goals sorted and streamlined, for 2023, now is your chance. This webinar covers not only setting goals for the upcoming year, but you know, for your training, but for your races as well, the actual in-race goals. We'll also talk about how to develop the habits that you need to help you achieve your goals. The webinar goes for around 90 minutes to two hours because you know it's interactive with question time, so it, the time is variable. And you'll be given workbooks that you can work on with those and a recording of the event to go back to, to re-listen to everything and watch. All this for only $70. Go to the website, pickendurancecoaching.com.au and head to the shop to register. Also, please don't forget to support the um, businesses that support this podcast, Health and High Performance, to keep those niggles at bay and get you back running healthy and strong. And, of course, the best chocolate out there, as it not only tastes good, but is good for you, Peak Chocolate. Go to peakchocolate.com.au to get 15% off some yummy chocolate that is good for you, 
with the code Isabel Ross at checkout. I'm personally loving the energy chocolate bar when I'm running at the moment. Three pieces, which is the syrup, has 25% protein, 76 milligrams of caffeine, which is equal to one coffee, no sugar, and of course it tastes delicious. Now enjoy the interview with Stephen. The 28 Day Mindfulness Challenge was a great program to be involved in. I'll admit I was skeptical in coming into the program, but I was looking for something that would help me to focus on my running and I'd heard great things about Isabel. We were given daily tips and the Facebook group was a great way to get reminded of our focus and to read what others were doing and thinking. We started the challenge thinking about what we wanted out of running and how we saw ourselves. As a runner, I'm not the fastest nor the fittest and I can hear Isabel on my shoulder right now telling me not to use those negative words about myself, but I just love running and so I run for me and my goals. I enjoyed the focused breathing exercise and they were perfect timing for me as I was able to use this approach immediately in my running. We reflected a lot during the course on what we had been doing and what changes we were observing in ourselves. Yes, I was skeptical at the start, but I learned so much during the course, so I'm a convert. 28 Day Mindfulness Challenge reopened my eyes to the positivity of running. It was a fantastic course. Thanks, Isabel, and the rest of the group. It was a great 28 days and I can't wait to see you out on the trails at some stage. Hi, Stephen. Welcome back to the Peak Endurance Podcast. Welcome, thank you. Uh, great to be back. Um, lovely after our last one a couple of years ago, I think, for um, for the 48-hour in Canberra. Yeah, so, fantastic. and we got you on because we thought that was so, or I thought that was crazy doing a 48-hour race. Like, how ridiculous, so long. But um, you're back on because, um, as I can see from, from your T-shirt, you've gone, you know, you went to a race that's even further. Do you want to just um, tell us a little bit about this race? Uh, yeah, so Which, well, basically, tell us what the race is. <clears throat> okay, um, so I was lucky enough to uh, get an invite to um, the world's actually longest certified foot race. Um, it was a Sri Chimnoy thirty one hundred mile self transcendence race over in Queens, New York, which um, I've just completed and come home from um, just a week ago. <laughs> so, so a bit longer than forty eight hours. Just a little bit longer. Uh, went from 48 hours to a 52-day race. Oh, my God. Now, you say you got a, an invitation. What did the entry process involve? So for this race, it's it's not like a normal race where you just go online, you look at it and think, oh, this would be nice to do. Um, I'll just <laughs> go and enter, um, pay your entry fee, and uh, and you're in. I'd, I'd seen this race. So it's Predominantly a race run by the Sri Chinnoy uh, running group. Um, this is from the New York uh, team, the uh, Sri Chinnoy marathon team over in New York. And the race has been going for 26 years now. Oh, wow. So I, I'd known about this race um, about eight years ago, and I had decided probably about five years ago that this was something um, that I would really love to do as part of my running journey and my discovery for myself um, with what, I can actually do um, with my running and how to discover myself. So I, I sat on that for a few years. Um, and then two years ago, I approached the Sri Chimnoy team here in Australia um, through Prachar and um, a team that I, I, I have a very good relationship with. Um, and I had asked them about the idea of maybe being able to do this race in 2022 and what would the process be with regards to maybe getting a spot to um, to run for this year so it was done probably from two years ago and wow. for myself um, basically you put your interest in that 
that this race is something you would like to do, but it's up to the team over in New York with regards to whether they feel that you're the right person to do this race. Being a racer only has maybe between seven and 14 runners in it. Oh, is and that all? that's it. Very small race. Fourteen uh, okay. probably the maximum. Um, we were going to have 14 this year, but it ended up being 12 runners uh, with two that couldn't make the start line. So what they basically do is if they feel that you're the right person, um, you've got the right background and you'd be the right fit for the race, they actually send you an invitation to invite you to come and do a certain uh, the race of a certain year. So which happened to be for oh, me. So they'll even decide the year. Like you don't kind of get to choose. You sort of can, but they would look at where you come from, what you've got, um, whether they feel that you're ready for the race. Um, Past runners in the year, in in the past have been told, look, we'd love you to come, but you may need a few more years just to be uh, prepared. So yeah. they would look further down. Um, I was lucky enough that um, my goal or my dream was to always want to do it in 2022, which was my 50th year. Uh, please excuse me. Just, we have a new dog in the house. So uh, just hold on two sex. Rocky, stop it. Sorry about that. Um, no. <laughs> and yeah, so between my support, we, uh, can we just pause it for two seconds? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Sorry. Apologies for that. <laughs> no worries, all good. I uh, I came home to a new puppy in the house. So oh, um, oh my god, yes, that was my that was my surprise coming home. Penny was a bit lonely with that with you gone. I think so. It doesn't like um, someone being uh, busy with something else. Fair enough. So, yeah, with regards to the race, um, I was lucky enough to have massive support from the team here. Um, so I had a lot of support from Pachar um, basically sponsoring me oh, and okay. putting me forward for the race. And um, between having his support and working with the RDs over in New York, um, I knew back in 2020 that they had offered me a spot for 2022, uh, which was a year I'd love to do it, which was my 50th year. Um, and the only thing I had to do within those two years was to do at least a minimum one six-day race to sh as my qualifier. So they don't have too many rules in getting into the race, but the one main one is, is they do need to see that you understand multi-day running and they want to see that you're good with multi-day running and how you approach that. And that's their good gauge as to whether you're able to do a race of this caliber. And um, and between that and then their feeling that you would fit into the group and with the runners and the whole community, because you're there for 52 days, between the two, yes. that's where they make a decision that they'd like to send you an invitation to, uh, to come and do the race in a year that you choose or you get to choose together. So... That's sort of how I came about um, getting an offer for the race, um, which was for this year. Yeah. And that was my 50th year. So it was always my dream to maybe give this race a go and really discover myself um, in my 50th year. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome and, and brilliant synergy that it, that it worked out for you like that. So, and I assume you did the Adelaide six day? So my, and that was, yeah, so my uh, qualifier was going to be, and I mentioned to uh, the team over in New York, um, I had entered the Adelaide six day for two years running. So 2020, I had entered it. Yeah. Uh, so we had a hard time here in Australia. So we have very limited um, opportunity to do six day racing. 
Yeah. Uh, 2020, our only one we could get to locked in Australia was the Adelaide, which was cancelled uh, yeah. due to the pandemic. So I had rolled that over to 2021. Um, all was looking really good. Then we had that next wave when Delta hit and yeah. basically only a few weeks out from the race, it came out that we were unable to leave New South Wales. That's so for the second year, I was unable to get down to the Adelaide six-day. So going back to the RDs over in New York, um, I had put a proposal if they were happy if I was to run my own six-day solo race. Uh, okay. uh, would they accept that as my qualifier? And luckily enough, they were really good about that. So they said, as long as I can keep it in keeping to a, a proper six-day, as long as I could show that running the six-day that I could do each day um, basically consistently, so I wasn't going to start with a massive day one and have yeah. a very little day six, they would be happy that I could use that as long as I could show the recording of that and that it was all done and what I'd actually done, they were happy to use that. So I organised the same week as the LLA six day, which I couldn't get to. I organised my own solo six day race, which I did here back at home and it was on my local athletics track. So I ran for six days around my 400 metre athletics track. Um, and I was actually lucky enough to record the whole six days as one recording on my on my watch. Oh, okay. And then had it then had it uploaded to to Strava, and so the full race was actually put on Strava as one one recording on Strava. Oh, wow. And then, so yeah, when you so, went to sleep at night, you would just then when you got up in the morning, you just resume the workout. I did. So the oh. so I was lucky. So my track it was very similar to how the uh, 3100 race ran. So my track only opened at 5 a.m. and uh -huh. they closed it every night at 9 p.m. So that was about 16 hours um, that the yeah. track was open. Very similar to the race, which is um, you're on course for 18 hours a day maximum. So I got there at 5, I ran all the way through to 9 and then basically had to go home um, and then come back again at 5 a.m. So what I did was is at nine o'clock, I just paused my watch uh, on the track, um, put it in the car, put it on charge and left it on charge overnight. Mm -hmm. And then when I got back to the track the next morning, I just unpaused it and then continued the recording. Wow. So that's it actually, yeah. It, so I logged the whole six days of recording, which was really good. And how many kilometres was that? So in the end, I ended up recording 655 kilometres, so approximately about 420 miles. Yeah. Um, with an average, um, I ended up averaging around about 100 kilometres or just over 100 kilometres yeah. per day. And they were really happy with that because they could see the consistency that I was sort of meeting what you would get through the 3100 anyway in my six day. So, yeah, yeah lucky enough, um, it was not conventional, but they ended up accepting that as my qualifier for this year's race. And I, and I think, you know, with everything going on, they kind of had to be a little bit more flexible, I guess, you know um because it they, wasn't they your did, fault yeah. it no like, and it's and they did actually say that being unconventional it probably they probably wouldn't allow that ever in the future yeah but i think having the really good backing from um prachar and the shri chimney team here yeah knowing what I, knowing who i was and they followed my running career for the last eight years so yeah. that was really nice that they were able to pass that on to the team in america and with the unconventional status of the last two years of the pandemic, uh, yeah. they were happy to use that. But I think it's only ever going to be a one-off. If I yeah, wanted to go in. Which is fair enough because they can't, that it makes it too hard for them to, 
you know, be checking everyone's different runs and all that sort of stuff. That's that, that's right. Um, they, they really like, uh, ultimately, for most runners who do this race, if you can get to their six or ten day that they normally put on in April, yeah, they prefer that only because, one, they get to see the runner. They can see how you go in a six-day if, if you don't have a history of six-day or ten-day running. And they can also see how you fit in to the team because it's predominantly the same team that do their six-day race in April, also yeah. do their 3,100-mile race in uh, September and October. So yeah. it gives them a really good feel for you and also yeah. gives you a really good feel for them and how yeah. well you fit in to that whole community and that environment. So that's generally what they would like. But at the end of the day, um, having just a history of six and 10-day or multi-day running um, is usually what they look for. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was, that's good that that all worked out. Um, so anyway, so then you, you know, you, you managed to get over there. Um, and um, how soon before the race did you arrive? Uh, so I, was, uh, <clears throat> I got over to New York. I had about four days um, prior to the race starting, which was nice. Um, I had a few days off at home just to finish up my prepping and just sort of calm down from, from the busy work. Yeah. Uh, flew over. I had about four days prior to the start, which was nice. It gave me enough time to set up my accommodation, um, buy what I needed to buy while I was over there and just get my bearings for the area. Yeah. And um, so I got there on the Tuesday evening and yep. uh, the race started on the uh, on the Saturday morning. Sorry, on the Sunday morning um, was when the race started. All right. So for the people who haven't maybe heard of it, well, I think most people have heard of it, but who aren't really familiar with the course, do you want to just sort of describe um, what the course is like. The course, and yeah. I'm smiling so, if, if you're watching on YouTube because I know, and it just it boggles my mind that you'd be running on that every day. But go on. So this race, a little bit different to most races. So it's it's a race of basically self transcendence. So it's not about a point to point race. It's not about uh, achieving uh, a milestone of of say running across the country. So it's it's a three thousand one hundred mile race, which is just shy of 5,000 Ks. The race is run in Queens, New York, and it's run around a half mile block uh, in Jamaica, Queens. And on that block, it's basically you're running around a high school, a, um, a sports field and a community park area at the other end. So it ends up being, if you end up doing the full 3,100 miles, you end up running uh, 5,648 laps of the half-mile block, um, which is about 885 metres um, once you go around the block. Um, oh and that's, and that's, and you, you're doing that for 52 days. Uh, the course opens at 6am in the morning. So the one basic rule that they require and they're very sort of they sort of fairly strict about is that all runners have to be on that start line at 6 a.m every oh. morning no questions asked so they you can't choose to sleep in a little bit and start a bit later you can't choose to sleep in um that's that's one commitment that they want from every runner that uh you get up and you come down and that all runners are there start their one-minute silence, and the race starts at 6 a.m. Yep. The course closes at midnight every night, and this is to allow, um, for safety reasons, allows the runners to get um, a set amount of sleep. It allows for the organisers, of course, not much sleep. 
but um, allows for the organisers to also have a break as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's it's predominantly to stop it being a continuous race of 52 days and runners picking their own times where they need to rest. Um, this is forcing us to have what they feel is at least the minimum amount of rest that one would need to be able to continue every day. But with the midnight finish, there's no hard and fast rule as to you having to run to midnight. It's predominantly you need to run um, 59 miles um, or just shy of 100Ks every day. Now, this allows you to reach the full 3,100 miles within the 52 days. If you happen to reach that and that's what you're happy with without doing any extra, you can leave the course earlier in the evening. So if you finish at 11 or 10.30 or 11.30, um, there's nothing stopping you from stopping your running for that day and going back to your accommodation. So you're not made to run to midnight, but the midnight is the latest you can run to to try and achieve what mileage okay. you need to achieve every day. Now, just quickly going back to the course, um, it's basically a footpath, isn't it? It is. So you're walking, so you're running on predominantly just the sidewalk. It's uh, pure concrete. cement, full yeah. concrete pathway. That, that And that uneven? Point. Is it like, you know, you know where you get uh, tracks? Yeah, so very uneven. There's actually approximately about a five-metre elevation change throughout the half-mile block. Um, Which doesn't so sound like much, but after all those laps, that would add up. <laughs> it does add up. It adds up to almost three times uh Running, um, running up Everest in elevation. All right. Over it's the five. Amazing how such a small amount can build up. Yeah, that's that's freaky. So wow. it's it's it is quite an uneven surface, um, due to the fact that some of it is uh, broken up a little bit. Uh, some areas are lifted up a bit, so you got to be yeah. careful about where you put your feet. Especially when uh, you're doing the ultra shuffle. When you're doing the ultra shuffle, you do you do end up tripping a few times. <laughs> I can uh, imagine. I've never actually, I never actually fell over, but I had did have a few trips where it ended up pulling uh, some of my muscles, especially oh. the hammy muscle, by overstretching yes. it, yep. which was never that was not fun. No, um, and there are a few little hills. So when you run every day, you run each day, you change direction. So uh, one direction you go clockwise, and then the next day it's anti-clockwise. Oh, so you do change directions. You do okay. change. So it's um, how exciting, so, which is really good. So. <laughs> Everyone tends to have a preferred direction. Um, yeah. But what we call it is, is and they actually announce it. So one direction, they call it the downhill direction. You've predominantly <laughs> got some longer downhills and then shorter, quick, steeper uphills on the yeah. on the um, footpath. And then the other one, they call it the uphill direction. So uh, I found I actually liked both ways, but it all depended on where I was in the race or what day I was having. Um, some days going one way just felt more enjoyable than the others. And then you might find later on the race that um, you'd wake up and just how you're feeling. You'd prefer to do an uphill direction that day um, as opposed to the downhill. But um, it did make for, um, it did change it up a bit. So it was really nice. Yeah. So it, it was good to come back the next day. If you're going the other direction, you knew where you're going to walk. It was different spots yes. that you walked to what you did the day before. And even though you kept that the same, pretty much every day that you ran in that direction, but at least you wake up the next day and you go, all right, I'm not, I'm walking in this area, this area, this area. So that broke up your running lengths. It broke up how far you ran before you started doing walks and yeah. also changed how long your walks may be or how short they may be. So 
it, it was good. So it, the variety actually worked really well. Um, yeah. And you sort of looked forward to getting up the next day and knowing you're going to go in the other direction. I'm sorry, just, I'm sure it was. <laughs> just like, but it's still the same course. Anyway, um, yes. did you go into it like with a strategy as in how many kilometres, what sort of walk breaks you would have? I mean, obviously you designed your walk breaks to um, reflect the, the the terrain as well, but did you have some sort of walk run strategy and did what, did you have a plan for how many kilometres you wanted to do? So being my first time, into this race, um, I really kept my mind open. Um, I didn't want to go in with too much of a strategy because yeah. everything I read, everything I knew through my experience, um, and that was, and I know I was, I was a fairly well, a very new person to multi-day running, but uh-huh. had enough experience to know that a race of this length, having a strategy would not work or too long. So you could have a strategy maybe for the first few days um, just to get your your bearings um, just to get a feel I did go in on the idea that one I'd like to run the minimum mileage plus extra Um, so we call an extra 10 laps I just sort of had a figure in my head so I caught an extra 10 laps um, which predominantly would hopefully make me not have to run all the way to midnight each night and I like the idea of maybe finishing a little bit earlier as long as I could reach the mileage and utilise that time to have a bit more time to settle up and do what I had to do before going to sleep at night. And for the run-walk strategy, all I knew was is uh, I would never walk the corners. So I went in there knowing that I would at least run the straights and walk every corner, which most runners did anyway. Um, And I did that from the very first lap on the very first day. So we took off probably ran 100 metres, got to the first corner, and that was my first my first walk. And having that in your head straight away um, made it really easy to know that um, that's what you would do yeah. all day long each day, and even if you go in the other direction. Once we actually started running and realising where the, the rises were and the drops, um, you added in a couple more little walking breaks. So through listening to the other runners, getting their uh, advice, and um, and feeling the course, you pretty much knew straight away that um, on the backside going clockwise, there was two hills that you would um, walk up. Um, the last corner before coming back onto the start-finish straight, there was a, a bend with a corner that went uphill, so you would walk that. Yeah. And you knew that pretty much straight away that they were going to be your walking areas. So I'd sort of gotten that. Well, so quite early in day one, and that pretty much stayed for me for the whole 52 days. Um, and where I could run, I would run. And even yeah. most of the 52 days, I would always run where I could run and definitely walk where I could walk. And that's sort of how I started. Um, kept it open, and then everything was very fluid. So it actually just grew as the race grew with how you were to tackle it and how you felt every day. So whether you felt good, and you knew you were going to have a really good running day or you could turn up and not feel good the next day, you might have a few issues and knew that there was going to be walks in there. So that would just change how that day would go. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine with, with such a long time ahead of you, there's, yeah, anything can happen. So there's no point in having hard and fast rules and, and too much strategy, like you said. No, even what I did have already in speaking to my helpers that I had, um, I knew straight away that, they, that wasn't going to work. And as I mentioned to them, it's it was more about communication between myself and them and 
will just be open and fluid. And what we might have on, say, week two, by the time you got to week three, um, because temperatures had changed, how you felt changed, even yeah. your strategy changed week for week or even day for day. So was, was there quite anyone who walked the whole time? There, there was. So we had, so when we, we got the 12 runners in the race, um, predominantly there was, so out of all the runners, uh, one of the runners, Nabasha, he had to start three days later because unfortunately he had come down with COVID two days oh. before the start of the race. Okay. Part of the race rules was because they're very, very strict with not having it go through the community. Anyone that has um, has the virus had to isolate for five days before they're allowed to actually come and join the race. So for one runner, he had it two days before the race started, so he couldn't start till three days later. Um, so there was 11 of, the, 11 of us that started. Out of the 11 of us, two runners and under and Kaninika, uh, basically within a, two or three days of the start of the race, for whatever reasons for both of them, um, they had started walking, which predominantly they ended up walking for the majority of the race. Yeah, yeah. Um, they do it for their own reasons. Um, for Ananda, he, he does it through his, his heart and, and how he feels. And he's actually run the race 17 times. Oh not always God. finished the full distance, but he's always finished the full 52 days. Yeah. So for Ananda, it's not so much about getting 3,100 miles, but it's about the journey for him. Now, if that includes walking, he's he's really happy with that, and yep. and and that's that's the journey that he does. Uh, for for Kininika, she was coming back. Now she holds the record for the fastest time for a female. Um, was coming back to run the race, and for whatever reasons, a few days in, she was unable to actually really run in that race, and it ended up coming back to a walking um, yep. race for her, and she predominantly walked from that point all the way through to day 52, which which in my mind has an amazing ability to be able to, to have that focus. Yeah. Um, as it is, walking all day, every day, actually ends up being harder than actually running in that race. So Why is that? More because it's you don't stop. So when you walk, yeah. you, you want to try and reach a certain mileage as much as you can. Now, you may not actually end up reaching the minimum mileage, but you want to try and get as much as you can. So there's very, very little room to mm. to stop and have breaks um, and take it easy. And also with walking, there's no change. No, that's so what, right. What I found with, walk, with running is the best part of running is you still have that run walk, so you're forever changing your, your speed, your style, and using different muscles throughout the day, which was actually like mini recoveries all day long. Mm. As soon as you walk, you're using the same muscles and you don't stop. You walk the corners, you're walking the straights, you're walking the hills, the downhills. And because you want to get as many laps as you can in a day, you very rarely stop. So it actually ends up being harder in the end. And I found you actually get more worn out walking than when you actually do being able to run in the race. There's having a, um, having a, a smart run-walk strategy throughout the day. So I, I really took my hat off to both Ananda and Kaninika that they had that focus and actually did that for the full 52 days and every day. And both of them pretty much walked all the way through to midnight almost every day. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah, I was amazing. just the, doing the running and the walking would break up the muscle groups that you use and, and the level of impact and all that. So just doing the one would be so hard on the body. 
It did. It, like the one, so walking was really good. You, you didn't get worn out as much. Um, your feet did survive a bit better because yeah. there was less impact. But then the muscles that you used, you never changed. So right. they right. tended to cop a lot more, um, lot more issues and they were really hard. They got a lot tighter. Yeah. Uh, run walking, if you had the right strategy, um, that was actually really good because you're changing from impacting on your feet to, to giving them a recovery. But then you're changing from one muscle group to another. So both always got their recovery throughout the day. Yep. Now, you talked about because you were running, you could have little breaks and that sort of thing. How often did you have a little break? And did you actually sit down? You did, yeah. So I, I had a – my strategy was to have three breaks in a day. Um, so I found the best – I started with about six hours before a break. And after about two weeks, I realised that that was probably too long. Uh, had changed it to for the rest of the race. So I went down to four hours for each break. So I had three breaks in a day. Um, so predominantly around about 10 in the morning, 2.30 in the afternoon and 7 in the evening. Uh, with those three breaks, you would actually, yeah, you'd have a bit of a sleep. So I was having oh. a 10-minute sleep at each of the three breaks. So you were given a spot in the caravan. So everyone had a spot where you could have a table set up outside and then you got a bed inside the caravan um, on the inside of your little uh, aid section. And with that bed, so I, I would lie down, have a 10-minute sleep. You'd raise your legs up um, for all three of them for the whole time. So it was like a mini recovery on your legs um, yeah. as well. And it's amazing what that 10-minute sleep would yeah. do. You'd actually fall asleep. Even at 10 in the morning, you'd only been running for four hours. Yeah. You lie down, cover your eyes up. Um, I'd block my ears and... Surprisingly, you'd actually fall asleep for 10 minutes. Yeah. And sometimes it actually felt like that you'd been asleep for half an hour. It, it, wow. was, it was amazing that you could do that. So I found my breaks would probably last from start to finish. Um, I would do a clothes change, um, have a 10-minute sleep. And because of what I had, I had a few issues. I always had a little bit of foot care. So each, each break also included a bit of foot care and a shoe change. So my breaks will probably last 30 minutes, so from start to finish. That's pretty quick, though. It is, yeah. So some days it went a bit longer. Uh, we try to keep it about 30 minutes, so you would try and lose as little laps as possible. Um, so when we did that, it was really good. So, yeah, 30 minutes three times a day was predominantly the only times that you weren't actually going around the course. Um, the rest so of it. Yeah, sorry, go on. And the rest of it, yeah, so from start at 6am through to whenever I finished in the evening. Um, you what would time just did keep... you generally finish? Uh, with my race, I, I had a lot of ups and downs. So mm. sort of knowing a bit of my uh, background to what I had in the race, uh, my finishes changed from anywhere from 7, 8 in the evening when I was forced to stop due to my feet issues uh, through to when I was doing the full mileage, um, it would be between... 10, 10.30 through to 11.30 in the evening um, oh. with a couple of times uh, when I had to do a bit of walking in the day. Uh, there were days that I would finish at 10 minutes to midnight um, just to try and get as much of the mileage in as possible. But predominantly... And were you able to sleep after that? Like, I know what I'm like after I've been on my feet all day. I'm all twitchy and horrible in bed. How were you? Uh, so a race like this... It's amazing. You don't have the same feelings in the legs that you would get after, say, doing a 100K or a 100-mile race when yeah. exactly that. You'd go home and your legs just sit there and twitch and ache yeah, that's right. and you end up not sleeping for that whole first night. 
Um, first few days, you got a little bit of this. Um, it didn't take long for the body to adjust and understand what you were doing. And you would literally go back. I mean, some of my times that I'd actually fall asleep would be anywhere between 11 p.m., probably the earliest, uh, through to 1 a.m. being the latest. Um, you'd actually end up turning the lights out and going to sleep and then getting up at 5 a.m. So I had a minimum of, say, four hours sleep through to maybe five and a half hours sleep was my average every night. But you actually would sleep. It's it's quite amazing. Um, your legs didn't really throb or twitch too much. So they actually really enjoyed the fact that as soon as you could lie down on the bed, um, I slept for 52 days with my legs elevated on my back and always had my feet sticking out from the bottom of the blanket um, just to air them out and try and dry out the skin. So... Yeah. It's and you, you just you just got used to that. So I did enjoy once the fifty two days was finished to finally get rid of the the elevation and I could roll over and actually sleep yeah, okay. not on my back for the first time. But um, I think your brain just you know what you have to do yes. and you know what each day is and and that's what you do and it, it, it seemed to work. Yeah. And as time went on, you just you just got used to that. Um, I got used to waking up at five a.m. Yeah. And I knew that my, my sleep time was four to five hours. So I think your body just makes the most of that. And you do get some good sleep. Uh, a couple of times you would wake up in the night. Um, you have to go to the toilet a couple of times um, or you just didn't feel comfortable. But I don't think it took long to actually end up falling back to sleep again. So where was your accommodation? How far away from the course was it? Uh, I was lucky enough. I found um, a great couple who owned a house literally only about um, 500 metres from oh, the, the course start. So for myself, um, most runners will get uh, the offer of a lift uh, to the race each morning. They would have one of the community pick them up, drop them off at the course, and then same again in the evening. And a couple of runners, if they choose to or they get asked to, um, will get given a push bike. So because I was so close to the course, um, I was offered a push bike as opposed to being picked up. Yeah. And I think in the end of the day, I actually ended up preferring the push bike. So one, it allowed me to choose my time in the morning to actually get to the course without having to be ready at a certain time for them to pick me up. Yeah. And because of my feet issues and I was sort of finishing at different times during the night, it made it a lot easier for me to go back to my accommodation yeah, and the push bike in the end was really good. One, it was a bit of a warm up in the morning, riding from yes. the accommodation to the start. So I felt really good on that start line. And at the end of the night, it was actually a really nice cool down to actually ride back home. Use a few different muscles on the bike. That's right. And you take yeah. the load off your feet, yeah. and just pedaling was enough just to just to move those muscles. And I think it just stopped them from stiffening up when I went to sleep at night. So. Yeah, yeah I, I actually I actually liked it in the end. And I, I would do that again. Um, yeah. I would ask for a push bike and yeah. use that to and from the course. Yeah, no, that sounds good. All right, so you've mentioned your feet issues a couple of times. Do you want to just, I mean, you've sent me the photos. <laughs> yes. I, we might see if I, I share them. If you, if you uh, yeah. um, Some people don't mind the photos. I, I've had a lot of people ask me for photos and then I've had a lot of people not want to see them once they see the photos, so... Oh no! So I'm, for, I'm always happy to see a bit of gore. Um, yeah, so it puts in us, perspective, I think. Yeah, talk, talk us through what happened with your feet. Okay, so I'll sort of start back. So for my race, um, at the end of the day, 
I didn't reach the full 3,100 miles. So my finishing distance, um, which I was very proud of, I ended up getting 2,728 miles, which was predominantly just shy of 4,400 kilometres. This was, so due to the, this was due to the fact that um, being fairly new into a race of this style, um, this length, I knew I had a lot to learn. Yeah. Uh, it took a while for me to really learn what was causing a few things for me, but I started with some feet issues quite early on in the race, which then grew. And to... when you say feet issues early on, was it that, that they were sore or what was it? No, I was getting a lot of impact damage on the balls of my feet through, one, my running style, um, two, which I ended up finding out through my discovery later on the race through my shoe choices. Uh -huh. yeah. It basically put a lot of force on my feet earlier on I was starting to get a lot of um, impact damage on the tissue on the balls of my feet which then ended up pushing a lot of that tissue um, which burst through my, the front of my feet under my toes and basically became exposed to the outside so they weren't blisters like a normal blister where you get fluid build up um, you pop them and you get the sting. It was actual Mine was, tissue. This was actual tissue, swollen oh tissue God. from the way I was running. Um, Is that because you're a four-foot runner? Being a four-foot runner, long legs, uh, generally a faster runner, trying to adjust running really slowly with a more of a shuffle style um, and being a four-foot runner, I had a lot of impact that I was getting on the pavement. Now, running on that hard concrete pavement for 17 I going to say the concrete would not have helped. It didn't help my style. Um, yeah. Now, if it was a one, two or three day race, it didn't really matter. But because you're backing up for yeah. 17 hours every day, um, oh. it just kept growing and growing. Oh. So was it incredibly started, painful? It was painful, yeah. Um, some days I could deal with it. We were still trying to manage it. Um, I was very new at how to manage an issue like that on my feet. So that was another issue too, was, was being inexperienced in that style of damage to my feet through my shoe choices, being inexperienced and then through so, my So running. what was wrong with your shoe choices? Were they zero drop or something? Is that what the issue was? No, no, I, I still had my normal hockers, which five mil drop. Um, yeah. The shoe itself was okay, but my choice was I didn't trust going to a larger shoe early enough, uh, okay. not having that experience. Um, <laughs> And then trying to persevere with two smaller shoes because that's what I had. Yes. And that was enough to squash my feet on the sides, which was then sort of pushing out on the bottoms of my feet. Couple and that's that right. My... People don't just think it's not just the front, it's the side that expands as well. It's the side. So for this race, your sides really expand. Now, the shoes were then squashing that in, which then pushed out the balls of my feet, coupled with my running style, which I found really hard to try and change. Yeah. Coupled with the fact that you're doing that for 17 hours every day, um, oh it it basically I ended up with yeah bad feet issues, which grew to a point that by day 22 um, I was asked to stop running in the race due to my feet being that bad. Wow. Uh, the race doctor pulled me from the race and said we cannot have you continue until yep. we can either repair your feet and actually have a specialist podiatrist. Um, give you the all okay that you can come back if that person was happy that you can repair your feet to a point that you can continue. Wow. So with that, I ended up not being able to run in the race for four days. 
Was so, that was that devastating to you, or was it kind of devastating, but also a relief to be able to spend some time fixing them? It it, it was a bit of a double edged sword. So yeah. definitely, it was devastating. Um, yeah, of I had a really lot of mixed motions when they pulled me. Look, yeah. I knew it, I I felt it was coming, and I think I was I was really glad that it came because my feet. The day that they pulled me, I only managed to walk fourteen laps that day, and oh, I was wow. in severe pain. And that's why they stopped me, checked my feet, and then wouldn't let me continue. And um, can like I ask, uh, were painkillers allowed? Were you? Did you take any painkillers? So painkillers are okay. So the doctor is happy that you can take it because you get a lot of you got a lot of tendon issues and inflammation. Yeah. So they do allow that because yeah, it's right. such a long race. Because oh. you can manage, and you're not going very very hard every day. Yeah. Um, your body can manage that, and and we're all smart enough to know how to manage that properly. I had been taking painkillers. It was incredibly painful, even with painkillers, basically. No, I, I'd actually stopped. So oh. I had been taking them on and off just for my tendon issues and other stuff. And I think what I didn't realise is it was masking the pain in my oh, feet issues. Yes, of course. So a couple of days before day 22, I had decided in myself, I'm not going to take them anymore. And I, that was really what decided that I did have bad feet and it was then telling me through the pain in my feet by day 22 which was two days later that something wasn't right and it, it felt like I had a thousand pins being stuck into my feet every time they they hit the ground so I got stopped on day 22 I was lucky enough to see a podiatrist in Manhattan on day 23 so the next day yeah uh, my feet had about 27 hours of recovery so that they were actually clean, dried, elevated for 27 hours and really lucky that I'd actually already formed a nice skin over the top of the damaged area within okay. literally one day. Wow. So the podiatrist saw that. So she had a picture of the feet the day before, which is the picture you saw, and then she got to see the actual feet 27 hours later and she was happy enough to know that my feet could repair yep so she turned around and said a uh, recommendation of a minimum five days off course yep and she would be happy to allow the race doctor to allow me back to continue um, as long as the race doctor was happy so we went went back um, we managed to convince the doctor um, for the race if we could reassess after four days because yeah, I was going to say, I thought you said four days. Yeah, it was four. Uh, it should have been five days. Um, so the race doctor was happy that we recess after four days. If I was happy myself, if it, the feet looked good, she yeah. would allow me back a day earlier, but yeah. on a shortened day, and then we could just assess how the feet would go. So all in all, I lost four days of running. We came back on the Thursday after being pulled on the Sunday. Yeah. And... Um, that Thursday, I ran to 7 p.m. and the feet survived actually okay. And we sort of then continued from there. So I ended up running for the next 26 days, yeah. which got me through to the end of the race. But knowing the issues I had to do with my feet, my management coming back onto the race and losing the four days, I knew in my heart that the distance in the end was not going to be achievable. Yes, that's right. A lot of a lot of the community and the runners were were so ecstatic for me to come back. Now, on paper, I could have achieved still the thirty one hundred. It was still it was still possible when you looked at it theoretically that I could do it. 
but that would mean that I would have to have come back on day 26 with perfect feet yeah. and been able to run the full distance plus extra mileage every yeah. single day. Yeah. Now, I knew with my feet that we were we were basically managing them right on the edge yeah. for the whole race. Um, so I knew myself that Wasn't only it? the 3,100 was not achievable, but my real goal was, and it was always going to be my goal going into this race, the commitment was to do the full 52 days. Yeah. Um, for this race and for the actual Sri Chimnoi group over there, that can almost mean a bit more than actually reaching the distance because yeah. it's, it's about that commitment. Um, and, and it's about keeping going even though you know you're not going to make the distance. It's about keeping going. Now, that has a lot to do with your heart, your head, um, your focus. Um, for a lot of people, a lot of running, if you know you're not going to reach the end of a race, often you feel, what's the point? Yes. Um, so this is about looking past that and yeah. looking as to why you're doing this journey. And that's why the 52 days can have a lot more meaning than just reaching mm -hmm. the mileage because that can end up being hard at the end of the day, um, mm -hmm. keeping that focus going, um, knowing that, as you said, you're not going to reach that mm -hmm. actual race distance that was set from the start. So... And what That's, did you do on the four days? Like, what were you? Did you hang around the course anyway to have a look, or did you just sit in your room, or what did you do? So I was I was made to be in my room and elevate my feet as long as I could within the given day. So the longer I could keep them up, keep them aired, and actually not have them on the ground, the quicker or the better that they were going to repair. Yeah. But for me, it, it was a bit of a hard four days. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had, a, especially the first day, I had a lot of mixed emotions. Do I quit? Do I not quit? Yeah. Um, if I did quit, I'm letting the whole of Australia down. I'm letting myself down. I'm letting the community there down. You're not that you would have been, but I understand the feeling. Oh, the feeling was there. It, you really felt like the way this race is, it's amazing how much you would feel you'll be letting everyone down uh, and even the runners on the course. So you're like a whole team. Yeah. And even for them, when I wasn't there, they could see that there was there was a broken team. So yeah. even for them, it was hard for them not having me there. And yeah. they were really wanting me back as well because they want to support me and I'd yeah. like to support them. So that very first day, not knowing what the podiatrist was going to say, um, knowing that my feet were really bad, do I want to go on? I do. I don't want to let anyone down. I was going to let Fiona down, who was helping me at the time. Um, I knew I was going to let my parents down, who hadn't even arrived yet, who were going to be oh. helping me out for the final three weeks. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, I had a lot of mixed emotions day one. Um, so two things that really kept me motivated was, one, having Fiona Hayweiss as my helper during that period. Um, she was really, really positive and kept me going positive. And, and, and so having, who is Fiona? Is she from Australia or is she an American? So Fiona's, no, no, Fiona's uh, New Zealand. Um, so she's probably one of New Zealand's top runners. Um, yep. And she had offered to want to come over and help me um, and really get to be a part of this race and the experience. And she, she was amazing. Absolutely wonderful. Um, we're very similar in our running style. So she really understood me, uh, really understood how to crew for me. Yeah. So she kept me very positive during that period of time. Um, then with the podiatrist the, the next day saying that she was happy for me to come back, that then did change my mind and gave me more of a positive approach to wanting to come back and, mm. um, and continue to the end of the race. So what we did for the four days that I wasn't allowed to run was 
I still got up at 5 a.m. every morning. I still put on all my running clothes, Yeah. rode down to the track, um, and I stood on that start line with all the other runners, knowing that I wasn't allowed to run. But that was the commitment that was given to us, that they wanted us there every morning. Yes. I was given the excuse, I was excused from being there for those four days if, if that was what I needed to do. But I felt that that was my commitment to all of them. So I still turned up. And it up. kept you in that routine as well, I would have it, it did. So I did not miss one morning of waking up at five. Yeah. And one thing that really made me feel proud was I didn't miss one morning for the whole 52 mornings standing on that start line. That's Even though there was four days I couldn't run. Yeah. But I still had 52 days on that start line. And it was very lifting for the other runners. So they were really... Um, they were really touched that I was still there, knowing how hard it was for me not to actually run off with them and having to just hang at the um, at the race hub. And every day for the four days, they would all ask when I stood there, is this the day you're coming back? And I'd have to say no. And then on day four on the Thursday, I stood there and it was the only difference to that day was I had running shoes on instead mm. of my recovery thongs. And they looked down and they all smiled and went, is today the day? And I said, yes, it is. And mm. They were so happy. It was amazing. Um, and that just boosted my spirits um, through to the next level. Yeah. So, And I, I think between that support and that community spirit, that's what kept me going and wanted me to actually do the next 26 days um, all the way through to the end of the day 52 and still having to manage my feet, which were good on some days and could be really bad on other days. Yeah, But we, we managed it and we, we worked through it. And, and did you get more shoes? Like, did you buy some bigger shoes or something? Like, did you use that four days to buy up big? <laughs> uh, not through that. So what I did was, I mean, I'd already started to realise by then, even though it was too late, I had started changing into larger shoes. Um, so I was still using the hockers at the time. Yeah. I'd gone up a couple of sizes and I'd gone to all wides. Um, and it seemed to work, which did go for the next uh, at least three and a half weeks. So... They worked all the way through to about two weeks out. So I was about 14 days out from the end of the race. And I my normal size is about a nine and a half standard for call it a Hocker Clifton. Yeah. I was then running in 10.5 wides, um, which was what I was using for that sort of predominantly for those three weeks. Once I got to two weeks out, it actually realized with me that even a 10.5 wide hocker shoe was not wide enough for my foot oh my foot had grown that wide that at two weeks out I had woken up and I could not fit into my shoes so oh, so what I, did you I do lived... cut them out no they already had cutouts in them so I'd already had modified my shoes on yeah. the sides to allow for that and it wasn't enough so I put my foot in them um, it, they were so squashed. I knew I wasn't be able to. I wasn't going to be able to run that day. Um, I'd actually had some uh, running thongs or running flip flops from Wei Ming, uh, the Taiwanese runner who does the whole race in these special running flip flops. So he actually had given me a couple of pairs. So I actually started running in just them, and that's all I had yes. for that day, two weeks out. Wow! So they were um, actual thongs, or were they sandals? They're actual thongs, so they oh, call them God. running sandals. But for us, um, yeah, they, they just they just look like a thong, a typical normal okay, thong. So then it would it would literally flip flop. How would you run in those? 
they do, but these are actually, um, they're constructed for proper, they're actually proper running thongs. So they've got the right cushioning. Yeah. Um, they've actually got the right pressure points and molds in the shoe that when you put them on, they don't fall off. Okay. You can kick them as hard as you can and they wow. will actually sit on your feet and you can actually run like you're in a normal pair of shoes. You don't have to worry about your toes, no curling. Yeah. You just keep your feet normal. And surprisingly, they're very, very comfortable and really good to run in. So but over, over, over probably the back half of the race, which when I had them, I think I ended up putting about 500 Ks of running mm. in the, the new running thongs. So, um, and I will actually utilize them going forward in yeah. the future for certain races. Uh, I can actually see where they fit in quite well. Yeah, they yeah. air your feet out. Um, they actually allow your feet to expand. They yeah. take a lot of heat out of your feet. Um, so it's, they're really nice recovery um, while you can actually still keep running, uh, not having the shoes on. Yeah, that's... So on that day, my helper, which was my dad, John, um, was over there. He started asking around a couple of the other runners and I was lucky enough to have Susan Marshall, the New Zealand female runner, who had a large pair of Ultra Torrent 5. They were too big for her. So her helper actually gave me her pair of shoes and just wow. told me I could just try them. Now, as we know with Ultras, they're a really wide front toe box, but they yeah. are a zero drop, so That's very fair. different to what I'm used to. Yeah. So what we did was is we threw my heel lift, which I normally run with a, a heel lift in my, my shoes because of my running style. Uh, we threw them in the Ultras. I put them on, and they were, they were like heaven. I couldn't believe it. I finally had a shoe that my foot fit in. They weren't sore. Um, the heel lift worked really well. They felt fairly similar to what I was actually running in with my normal shoes, just a different style of cushioning. Yeah. And off we went for that afternoon and ended up running the rest of the day in these shoes and realised that um, they were going to work for me to the end of the race. So we ended up buying a pair myself the next day and they had them delivered oh, okay. 48 hours later. Yeah. And then... I actually had a second pair, um, another runner, Kaninika, who ran in Topos. Um, she had an older pair, which was predominantly my size as well. And I tried them on the next day. Again, they were really good. Same style of front toe box like the Ultras, but yeah. with the same cushioning as like your Hocker Cliftons. So they worked really well. And I was able to utilize them without my heel lift. And that kept the Ultra Torrens and then the also the topo um spectors it actually kept them both exactly the same it made them mm -hmm. both roughly a five mil drop style shoe yeah one just had more cushioning one was really good for a shuffle style and i ended up buying a pair of them as well and they were the two shoes that i ended up finishing the last two weeks of the racing so when did you use the sandals uh just on and off so what i would find is okay. the sandals are really good i might run for about three hours in a pair of shoes yeah now, with my feet issues after about three hours, my feet were starting to heat up and that would soften yeah. the skin and actually make my feet quite sore. Yeah. So I would predominantly maybe do the last hour in my four-hour session. I would take my shoes off and put the running thongs on. And that so was weren't really they zero drop? They're, I'm not too sure exactly what they are. Um, they do have a bit of a drop in them. So they're actually, okay. they're actually cushioned, um, but they may only have – they may be like only a 15-mil or a 12-mil yeah. – um, uh base to them but the cushioning even though quite firm not much different to what i was like in my ultras oh, there so you go. um very comfortable to run in yeah so they didn't feel like 
they change too much with your muscles in your legs. Yeah. The only thing you found is too long in them if you weren't used to them is your knees would feel it after about an hour. Uh -huh. um, it puts a little bit more strain on your knees um, yeah. just yeah. because they're a bit thinner and yeah. um, they're, they, they're quite a firm cushioning in the shoe. So yeah. I would probably use them for about an hour towards the end of, of my four-hour uh, running block and then that was a nice way just to air the feet out, pull them down before I'd go into my half-hour break um, at each yeah. session. So I sort of did that on and off um, for the last two weeks and they're really good too in the rain. So what yeah. I found is I could leave my, my socks on, which I predominantly run within gingy socks, so the toe yeah. socks. So they would work on the running thongs. Now in the shoes, because we had a lot of rain at this race, oh, the okay. shoes would just absorb the water, your socks yeah. would absorb the water and you could actually feel the water sloshing in your shoes. So at some point it was just I wanted to take them off because it wasn't good for my... No. The base of my feet so I'd leave my socks on but I put the running thongs on and even though it was wet what you'd found was it actually expelled all the water so your socks would stay sort of wet and damp but they wouldn't stay absorbed full of water so it actually worked quite well um, to run in in the wet um, even though you still had wet feet but you didn't feel like you just you had a sock full of water so yeah. they just felt more damp than they did and, and really I think quick. it probably was good for you, yeah, to be swapping around a bit and just changing it a bit. I, I needed that for my feet. The more I could swap, um, the better or the longer my feet would last every day. So I did a lot of sort of swapping back and forth between the ultras, the topos, putting the running thongs on, on and off. Sometimes I might only run for five laps, half an hour. Sometimes I would keep them on for an hour to an hour and a half. Just depends on how they felt. And yeah. there was no real set time. But, yeah, generally I'd find that the end of – of three hours they were nice to put on for an hour um now, and another um off uh, going off your feet for a second just a quick question because we're, we're getting to an hour now so yep. what about nutrition what did you do for nutrition so nutrition they they supply you so basically for this race you're going through an average of at least about six to maybe eight thousand calories every day Holy and God. it's amazing that you can see that that's what you need to use to get through. Um, so they provide most of the meals everywhere. You end up getting about seven to eight meals a day uh, between main meals, um, sort of sub meals in between. And yeah. your meals would start from as early as having your oatmeal come uh, only an hour into the start of the race. Then you would have breakfast come an hour after that. Then you would have morning tea, which could be smoothies, soups, um, and sandwiches of some sort. Then you would have lunch an hour and a half after that. Then you'd have afternoon tea. Then you would have dinner, and then you would have an evening snack. Oh, it really was a food fest. <laughs> it, was a, it was a food fest. Your meals range from it was all vegetarian meals. Yes, of course. And it's a mix of pastas, your quinoas, your couscous, um, uh, your tofus, your fresh vegetables, um, Chinese, Indian, um, scrambled eggs, boiled eggs, fried eggs. Um, again, your breakfast could be pasta, eggs, and you could have cauliflower and broccoli. Um, as I know your you're vegan. Did you eat eggs while you were there? Because I'm guessing you'd have an increased need for protein. You did. So I went back to what I would call myself, I was a vegetarian but no dairy. So one thing I knew I couldn't do, and I tried before the race, was to bring dairy back into my diet. 
Yeah, it didn't work. No, um, I, I don't find dairy and running goes together well. <laughs> it, it did. Dairy in my body just didn't work. So yeah. I, I actually went into the race. So I was considered a vegetarian, but nil dairy. So yeah. I had, I had my most of my meals were slightly different to everyone else's because dairy is a really big part of the race to get the fats into you. Yes, of course. So they just had to keep that out of mind. So I had often had a special meal which would have no dairy, and I have substitutes in my meal. But yeah. for eggs, I had no problems having eggs, and eggs was a massive part of I find found the protein over there. Yes, I can. So, yeah. so we got a lot of protein through beans, uh, tofu, um, eggs, um, lots of avocado, um, and then we would we would substitute that with our own fats. So olive oil went on a lot of meals. Um, yeah. I had ghee, which is basically all the clarified dairy taken butter. out, just yeah. clarified butter. But there's no real dairy in that, so that didn't affect me. That's good because um, I was going to say, could you have the ghee? Yeah, yeah. I could, yes. Yeah. So ghee was really good. So I went through a whole tub of that. That was put into a lot of my meals, my soups. Um, yeah. Olive oil was put over a lot of the, lot of your main meals. And then I also had a big jar of coconut uh, oil. Of course, yeah. So that also went into my meals as well as I had, I would have um, for all 52 days, I had a smoothie made up every morning before the start of the race. And that basically was what really got me going in the morning. And yeah. that was a mix of oat milk, uh, bananas, uh, another fruit, be it uh, strawberries or blueberries. I would have two massive spoonfuls of coconut oil. Um, I would have uh, a big dollop of honey. And then I would also utilize my tailwind uh, recovery protein. Oh. I also had scoops of that in, in the morning yeah. as well. So that was what I'd started with in the morning. Uh, fluid throughout the day was a mix of basically water and their electrolyte, which ended up being tailwind for most of the course. Um, yeah. So, and that was really good in between your meals. So, it gave you good hydration, but also gave you a different form of calorie as well. So, it just kept a little bit going throughout the day. And, and, and I was going to say, I don't, I didn't think this would be the kind of race where you'd be eating Cliff bars and gels and those sorts of things. No, like they, they provided cliff bars. You actually would have the odd one of them in between if your meals were still coming and you're a bit hungry. They had a table which always had snacks on it. So there was always things like bars, um, bananas, mandarins. Um, then you'd have offerings. People would drop off um, snacks. Um, you could have cakes, vegan cakes. You could have donuts. Um, yeah. It could be predominantly a lot of things. So we always had a table that had umpteen styles of different yeah. snacks that you could take throughout the day and probably the only other big thing that I would finish off was um, usually at my seven o'clock uh, evening break I always had my tailwind recovery drink yeah um, then and I, I found that was really good just to settle down for that evening half an hour having mm -hmm. that in my body yeah and I finished every night before I left the track I always had a second recovery drink ready to go yeah. And that was really good because that gave me the time to then get back to my accommodation, have my shower, start yes. soaking my feet, and then, which would it could be anywhere up to 45 minutes before you, you've got to that point leaving mm -hmm. the track. It just gave me something in my body, and then I would look to have something to eat before bed. Be because that's the most important thing with some, would be kick-starting that recovery as soon as possible. As soon as possible. And nice thing with that is, is, Predominantly for the most of the 52 nights, I actually never woke up feeling hungry or searching wow. for food in the middle of the night. And I never woke up feeling like that my muscles in my legs were, were struggling to try and recover. And I think awesome. that that had a really big part of actually keeping me going. And then I sort of, some nights I would actually have more food before sleeping. 
Yeah. It all depend on how much I'd eaten at the track, whether the recovery was just enough or the, yeah. whether I needed a bit more um, going to bed. So, um, but yeah, that was that was something I didn't change for that the whole race, and I think that was what really got me through and what really helped me sleep overnight. And yeah. it was good because I actually woke up and I started every morning feeling like I had beautiful fresh legs. It, wow. it was really nice to actually start on that start line, like your legs were were like doing the day one of the race. So, yeah, amazing. That's that's <laughs> awesome. Until I got home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then. So, then um, I, yeah, go on. Yeah, no, no, it's all right. After you. So, so when you got home, what was it like? So, surprisingly, and this really got me. It's, uh, this is something I've found which um, has really actually surprised and shocked me. Is throughout the whole race, I never really felt like I had any issues with fatigue. Yeah. Um, being tired on the legs, like everything, always felt good and fresh. But amazing, now that I've stopped and I've come home. It's amazing what the fatigue is there. So I'm still, I've been now home for a week and a half. It's probably been over two weeks since the race. And, and I can definitely feel that my legs are quite fatigued. Yeah. Um, I've done a few walks. Um, I still wake up every morning with, with quite heavy legs. Um, and I've never had that so long after a race. Mm. Not that I've ever run four and a half thousand Ks before. <laughs> but it's in my brain I don't feel like I've run four and a half thousand Ks, but my legs are telling me that I've done a lot more than what I've ever done in the past. So, Isn't that amazing that the body kind of goes, it it knows, you know, all right, I'm going to be doing 52 days and it goes, this is what you need to get you through it. And it gets you through it. And then it goes, right now we're going to. And that's exactly what it's done. It was almost like the switch had been flicked over and my body knew that the race was finished. And now it can tell me that then it's it's actually got fatigue and it's tired. Um, and, I never I, and that's that why I just find the human body is just so awesome. How awesome it is, it, it is. And this race teaches you that your body can adjust to anything. It's yeah. Everything is possible, even though you think, how can something be able to do that? Um, and your body just knows that that's what it needs to do. And it yeah. knows when it's when it's done it. And it's telling you now that it's time to, to recover and repair. Yeah. So where I am at the moment, which is really good, I've got no expectations between now and the end of the year so i'm allowing myself i mean if i'm ready to run i'll run um if i'm not ready yet i'll just either rest or walk because forcing it will just put you backwards it'll just put me backwards so i've got a nice two months to just enjoy myself just getting back to normal life um as it was i did my first run yesterday just a small 5k run i really needed just i wanted to have a feel just what it was like, where where I was up to with it, and it was it was actually really weird. So I was a little bit anxious starting. It was only yeah, a simple yeah. run. Um, I didn't know how to actually start taking off from running <laughs> to just walking, and then when I did, I realised I'm still shuffling. So I've got to really adjust my mind back into just my normal gait and my normal stride. Because that must be so ingrained in the body now. It, it, it's amazing how much that got ingrained, even though I only really learnt that on day 30 in the race, yeah. but how quickly that got ingrained. Yeah. And also how quickly I realised just how much fatigue is still in my legs. So, yes. I mean, my 5K run took me 35 minutes. Um, it was still about a seven-minute pace, which yeah. is which I thought was okay. But when you look yeah, at no, it, it's you know, when you look at it to your normal running, it's, it's yeah. like it's definitely a lot slower. And, and that was just purely... I was being careful on the legs and I wasn't going to over push them. No, and, I, and I knew five was plenty. 
it gave me a good feel. Um, today's definitely not going to be a running day. Um, I'll just go for another walk today. But yeah. nice thing is I can leave it open between now and the end of the year just to yeah. slowly bring it all back. And, and I know it will come back. Um, yeah, absolutely. And right. I think then by the start of next year, I should be I should be ready to go back into what I want to do. Yes, yeah. Speaking of doing, would you do it again? So I, I, I would. So at the end of the race, even before the race had finished, I was already given an invite to come back. Um, awesome. They were really, they were really proud and amazed at my commitment through all my adversities to actually still do the full 52 days. And they realised that I would have no issues probably reaching the full 3100 if I can yeah. learn and come back not creating the same issues as what I had in this race. So I'd even was invited back, I think it was like day 26 or 30, they'd already oh, said, awesome. you're, you're more than welcome to come back whenever you want. So when the do you reckon? Had, the race had finished. They all turned around and said, we'll see you next year. Um, but for me, it won't be next year, but I would like to look at maybe two years. Yeah, that's so, what I was going to say. I think your body probably needs a bit of a bit of a break, yeah. A lot of them will go back Absolutely. the year after. Um, one lot of them didn't probably have to go through what I went through generally anyway. But for me, I think it's two reasons. One, I think it would be really nice here for the body to fully recover. Yep. And two, I think in my heart and my, my head, I have to want it for the right reasons. Yes. Um, I don't want to just go back to say I need to get the full distance. So I want to go back because I know it's the right reasons to go back and do the journey and to complete what I didn't complete this year. So I think for me, two years is a really nice um, time frame and process, and that will allow me to just go back a little bit um, and sort of go backwards in, in, in races. I'd like to go back and do uh, six and a 10-day race prior to then yeah. going back to do the 3,100. So but I'm sort of... I sort of go back to the start a bit and because I never had a chance to do an official six or 10 day, this will give me a couple of years now that the world's opened up again yeah. that I can actually look to find a good six day race or a 10 day race and um, do them prior to going back to doing the 3100 again. Excellent. Oh, well, that sounds really good. Well, thank you so much, Stephen, for joining us on the pod. I mean, You're honestly, welcome. what an epic, epic adventure. Um it's, it's awesome. I don't personally think I would ever want to do it. Um, it sounds very mentally challenging, but um, well done. It, it is. Thank you. And it, it is. This is a sort of race that I, I know and they know that probably for 99.9% .9 of the whole running community, it's never going to be a race for yeah. most of them. And it, it's purely because not just much so much that people look at the distance and go, I can't do that. But as you mentioned, it, it, is, it is a very mentally challenging race. Yeah. And it really has to be something within your heart and yeah. your head yeah. that you want to do this. It's it's because it's such a journey and not just a race. Um, you have to decide that that's the journey you want to you want to go on. So, and I think that's why there is only a very small part of the running community that will probably ever be able to do a race like this or want to do a race like this. So, um, yeah. No, well, so well that, done, and, and we'll um. Thank you. Follow your progress and, and and really um see how it goes and hopefully you're back there in uh, 2024. Yes, uh, looking forward to it and uh, all going well. Um, as long as we don't have any other issues over the next two years in the world. Um, yeah, hopefully back on the start line in two years' time. All right. Well, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll book you now to come on the podcast again to tell us about it. <laughs> Perfect. Beautiful. Looking forward Excellent. to it. All right. Thanks for that. Thanks, Izzy. Love Bye. You.